0: Low Burn Media, an evergreen podcast, presents Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Hello and welcome to episode 193 of Who Killed? I am your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media, Killer Podcasts, and Evergreen Podcast production. On this week's episode, we were going to continue my conversation with Nick from True Crime Garage about the Honey and Barry Sherman case. Now, these are two prominent individuals from Canada, I believe they were the 12th richest couple in the whole entire country, and they were found murdered in their mansion. So this week, Nick will take the lead, and I hope you guys enjoy the show. Thanks for tuning in. And on that note, there is a case that you've been talking about and looking into.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, there's, you know, the the thing here is, I know that the listeners come to hear us talk about these cases, and they don't really want to know so much how the sausage, the sausage is made, right? But uh, to, to peel back the curtain just a little bit here, um, two things should be pointed out. You and I are actually speaking to one another via like a Zoom-type thing, situation here, so Riverside. we can see each other, but yes. I've really... I've really zoomed in my camera, so you cannot see the chaos or the activity going on in my office. Um, And I know everybody loves a good mystery. I'm going to spoil one for you all right now. If they find me dead in a few months, buried under papers, uh, it was my own fault. Uh, Nobody else was to blame. I I did this to myself. But uh, what happens is when I'm looking into a lot of these different cases, my ADD ADHD, whatever version it is, maybe, I don't know if it's a plasma TV or the full HD version that I have, but it is firing on all cylinders, my friends. And so I'm looking into cases and boom, this pops in my head. Oh, that thought pops in my head, or maybe it's a location or a time frame or whatever. Next thing I find myself eyeballs deep, six hours later, looking at a case that has nothing to do with next week's case or story for the garage. And I, I get lost in it, and it, it's a blessing and a curse. As much as I hate it, I, I, I love it all at the same time. But the, the Barry and Honey Sherman case yes. has been on my mind quite a bit the last couple weeks. And I can't shake it. Um, it's going to stay with me probably for a few more days. But found myself into some interesting conversations with some people that I cannot name. Um, at this time, but to remind everybody, I know you covered this case, right?
0: You and I covered this case
1: together on your actually,
0: show, on my show. So and we me actually, and the captain covered it on True Crime Garage. Yeah, so we both it's, know this case. Yes, it's very it, interesting, it's
1: a very intriguing case. So, uh, so many levels, so
0: many layers. I mean, talk about an onion.
1: 2017 Barry and Honey Sherman are beyond rich. They are wealthy, wealthy people. He he's listed depending on where, what you read. They're listed as like the 11th or the 15th, but they're pretty high up there. 11th to 15th wealthiest person in the whole country of Canada. And Canada has got a good, good chunk of money, right? They got a good chunk of wealthy people there. So they were doing all right. Right.
0: Right They were doing better Bill, doing
1: better than Bill and, and the
0: Colonel here, but uh... <laughs> yeah, they had billions of dollars, and uh, right. you know, they were in that thing they call the pharmaceutical industry, And so lots of interesting stuff has come out about the pharmaceutical industry over the last decade and, or two. <laughs> and this case is just one of those side notes that's super, super intriguing, and it can easily get uh, swept under the rug. So let me know what you've been uh, looking at.
1: So it, this is difficult for us to kind of talk about this as an aside, right? We we, we talked, about, talked about the uh, Bish case, and here we are talking about the Sherman case. If we were to try to go through the details of the case, the known details and facts, we, you, it takes about two hours to set this whole conversation up, and I won't bore everybody with those details. Go ahead.
0: But that's a good tee up for either going back and listening to you and I talk about this case originally or going back and listening to your episodes about this case, because either Listen way. To both of them yeah absolutely and uh you'll probably enjoy nick and the captains more than mine but they're the best so well i don't check know it about out.
1: that but that that's nice of you to say but yeah well listen you're to both on them my you're because... on it so i, sh- I shouldn't
0: say that <laughs>
1: <laughs> listen to both of them because we covered it at different time periods now this case isn't terribly old it's you, it, you know it's less than five years old but we covered it pretty early on in you, the garage you, did.
0: you covered it like kind of almost like a week or so. wasn't it like Pretty soon after, because it was so bizarre.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, give, just and give the I, give the nuts and bolts to the to the audience if they don't remember this case.
1: So Barry Sherman, he is the owner. He's running this very successful ge- generic pharmaceuticals company that's been around for a long time. The name of the company was Apotex, and he had had a falling out with some of his extended family over his creation and success of this company. Uh, that because at one point when he was a younger man I mean this was a guy that that had a PhD in astrophysics from uh, MIT uh, to give you an idea of how intelligent he was he he was attending college at 16 right Mm -hmm. that's when I was uh, uh, throwing the football and hoping to make the basketball team this guy is 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 studying at the University of Toronto at the time and so he goes to work for his uncle as a young man who owns a uh, some kind of drug company at the time. I'm a little unclear. It was called Empire Laboratories, if I remember it was correctly. A gener-
0: it was a generic company, right? Like, they it, made it, generic... I, bu- I believe
1: they made, but I believe they were also in the distribution end of it as well.
0: And, yes, it would be. Okay. Yes.
1: And so he he essentially inherits this company from his uncle. Now his uncle's got a bunch of kids of his own and empire laboratories was pretty successful. But what Barry Sherman does is he, he kind of spins this empire laboratories into his company that he owned up until his death, Apotex, which was extremely successful worldwide business. They did big time business in Europe, big time business here in the United States. So much so that there was like corporate espionage going on, and people accusing one another of crimes. People stealing patents from one another. There, the, the generic drug business is a shady, a shady industry. All right. Uh, that will make you feel good when your doctor tells you to, to take something, right? Um, cut to the chase here in December of 2017, Barry and honey Sherman are found murdered in their own home, in their mansion. And it was a situation where they were not expected to be home that morning. In fact, they had their home up for sale. Right there. Their home had been listed and was on the market and they had some high end real estate company that was showing the house. Realtor comes through the house. They got this pool and in ground. They have a indoor pool on a lower level of their home. I believe it's under the the garage actually area. And um, I think they had a tennis court on the rooftop of the garage right maybe someday bill Jeez. maybe <laughs> when my ship comes in i put a indoor pool in the basement under the garage and a tennis court above the garage i'll have that you over good. for i'll have you over for my ties my friend but um they find these poor people hanging from belts off of this metal railing that goes around that pool in the lower level
0: yeah i think it was just and the they're like in a weird there. like
1: seated position uh-huh. And so and and then the question became okay, was it was it a business deal gone bad? Was it uh, one of this extended family who he he pretty much screwed over right his his uh, cousins and could it have been some he was in he had like these other business ideas and business ventures with, some shady individuals, people that have been locked up for fraud and and borderline and some other people that were like borderline criminals. Uh, and then, of course, he has his children who stood to inherit quite a bit of money. I think maybe a quarter of a billion dollars. A, they, they ended up getting their inheritance not too long ago, I believe. And they got a substantial amount of money, like never work again. Your kids never work again. Your grandkids never work again kind of money like it, it, it's huge. So when we are talking about that amount of money and we're talking about that shady of a business and an industry and probably some bad backdoor dealings as well, there is no end to the speculation of who could have killed these people. You know Barry Sherman. Throughout the course of his career, made a lot of enemies, and and that was not a secret. This guy, this guy fired off lawsuits at people like you and I would fire off fireworks at uh, Fourth of July, right? This guy was constantly taking people to court, and he was a very aggressive uh, in, in his pursuit of these lawsuits as well. So, you have a man who created a lot of enemies on the flip side of that coin, you have his wife who is described as almost a polar opposite of Barry. She's incredibly personable. Everybody likes her. They love her personality. She is uh, sits as the chair head of many philanthropy boards and charities. And so she's a busy B2. He's, he's working all the time. They appear to have a very happy marriage from, from all that I could see. Uh, they have a big family, what is it? It's four children, three girls and a boy. Now, we say three girls and a boy. They're all very much adults by the time the Shermans are killed because the Shermans were in their 70s, I believe. When Yeah, in their early 70s when they were killed. Um, so all I'm going to do here, Bill, because we we clearly don't want to go two hours down the rabbit hole for no. really what's going to be about... minutes of of some mostly speculation that I have and observations that I've made recently with a little bit of sprinkled in um, potential knowledge stuff that I can't say is is concrete 100% concrete factual information but I I have strong reason to believe that it is of uh, of some some very good interest here so um, One conversation I found myself in with a group of people was that they had decided that. Remember, you and I, I believe, did your show and talked about the Shermans after some information came out of some surveillance footage.
0: That is correct.
1: And so the Toronto PD. Here's another quick aside. Toronto PD is like the equivalent of our NYPD or of maybe even borderline FBI status, right? This, this is, this is a, a, a group, an agency that has a high success rate. Uh, they are used to dealing with complicated and complex crimes. And if anybody can solve this, this is a good agency to be working this case, So I'm going to go out of my way to say that. And what they did was they collected, I think they said several terabytes worth of surveillance footage. And really what it boiled down to is they found one suspicious individual that they had on camera that they couldn't really explain why they have him on camera, why he is where he is at that time. And their their short statement to the public is, we think this guy is suspicious, right? That was pretty much their general statement of the person that they had the surveillance f- footage of. So I spoke with some people that are much more experienced at this line of work than, not the podcasting line of work, but the actual law enforcement line of work than I am. And one very interesting observation they had was there was always some thought that the individual caught on surveillance was walking with a limp or appeared to have some kind of limp and this group told me in their what i will say expert opinion is but in their opinion this individual had such a limp that the limp could only come from A person that has uh, a prosthetic some kind of prosthesis right so uh, maybe an an amputee and that you you know how I am Bill all you got to do is drop that rat on the wheel for me and I can start thinking of the questions and my first thought when they said that I said uh, do you think he's a foreigner and I said yeah why I said, "Well, when you tell me prosthetic and I, I I all you have to do is say that and I know we're going down the road of, well, this was a hit and there's your hitman." And they go, "Yeah, that's where we're kind of going with this." And I said, "Well, I I said my next thought would be if it's a hitman and it's Toronto, my fr- and an amputee, my first thought goes to um well, what branch of the United States military did this guy serve in they go we wish we could answer that question for you but we 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 think that that is of importance too that that's a uh something to consider in this case so there, there's one one angle to it there um I'm not saying any of that stuff is correct again this is people that that are experienced in this realm And that was their opinion, that the individual was walking with a limp that would indicate to them that he has a prosthetic. And then my mind wandered from there and they didn't at no point did they tell me I'm an idiot. They had said we had we've considered those to be possibilities as well. So that's something that's very interesting. Now, a couple of other things. And I've not gotten there quite yet on this case, but some other suspicions that I have is so the, the, the day that they were last seen alive was December 13th, 2017. The day before that we have honey who misses a scheduled meeting, which was out of character for her. In fact, she would, she would always attend these meetings or she would reach out in advance to let them know that she was not able to attend. And I believe this was for her Baycrest center foundation. This is yet another charity that she serves with the, you know, the, the Shermans were very generous to charities, both with their money and with their time. Um, and some have said, well, maybe that's part of the problem too. Maybe, maybe somebody that stood to inherit a lot of money thought they were giving too much of it away or, or, or not doing, uh, great business practices with with what would be somebody's inheritance. But anyway, let's let's move pe- we'll we'll circle back to that inheritance thing here in a minute. Yeah. Uh, but um the interesting thing about the time frame of the murders and when they are found is they were due to take an extended trip to Miami, Florida or the general Miami, Florida area. And my understanding, Bill, is that, that Honey Sherman could have been there as long as four weeks. I don't know how many weeks or how many days Barry Sherman was intending on being there, intended to be there, I should say. And this was also a family vacation. So some, if not all, of their children and their children's families were to be in Miami, Florida with the Shermans at some portion or at all portions of that trip. The details of that trip, I do not know them. And I don't know that they're publicly or readily available to us. I would love, oh man, I'm telling you, the past two weeks I've been I've been itching and clawing trying to figure out the details of this vacation. Anybody out there can email them to uh, true crime garage, or to Bill, or leave it on our blog. Even better, but um, yeah. The the thing here is, I I started to question this. Right, there's always been that big question of, well, could have been one of the kids? Could they, could they have, you know, not wanted to wait on the inheritance? Were they worried that they were going to lose a big chunk of their inheritance? Now, in the defense of the Sherman children, we need to point out. And be clear that they did hire their own investigators to lead a parallel investigation, which has been helpful to the Toronto Police Department's investigation. So to be perfectly clear, at one point they were at least collectively as a group assisting and trying to solve and locate and find the perpetrator of their parents, uh, whoever killed their parents. But that has still, that's not cleared them of any public uh, suspicion, right? I'm not the only person that's been suspicious of one of these children. And we, again, we say children, they're very much adults. Uh, might, might be older than the two of us, Bill. Um, but let me throw this out at you. If this were a hit orchestrated by somebody close to the Shermans, what better? Wouldn't you wouldn't you want to create a hit that's not only going to a achieve what you've set out to do, b be successful, and c clear you as having obvious involvement because you have an alibi. What better alibi could you have than I wasn't even in Toronto. I was I was in Miami, Florida. And my parents were supposed to be there with me when I when I found out the news, I was devastated at oh, all. You know that that's one hell of an alibi. And what you know, sometimes these things get messy. Sometimes these things get screwed up. What if the limping guy, let's say he he is responsible for this. What if he carried it out a day early or another possibility? What if nobody thought that they would be found until after everybody else was already in Miami, Florida. I don't know exactly what day they were supposed to be there, but from my understanding, they were killed either a day or just days before they were due to take that vacation. Now, we all know, well, I shouldn't say we all know, but people that know the case know that the Shermans were Jewish. And it, it just so happens that the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah the time frame lines up a little bit with when I believe that their trip would have started right it, it would be natural mm-hmm. for Barry to probably take some time to be with family to celebrate those holidays we do know that they were still at their home on the 12th we know that they were last seen alive from my understanding on December 13th well in 2017. Hanukkah started on Tuesday, December twelfth, and it lasted until Wednesday, December twentieth. Mm-hmm. So they could have been set to go on vacation very soon after that. I none of this is, of course, any type of smoking gun here. But go ahead, you look like you wanted to. Well, the, yell the, at me. the,
0: the no, it wasn't. I wasn't going to yell at you. The, <laughs> the date, the dates are just a little different than because um, the they were actually found on the fifteenth. Yeah, and so. Um, he was not apparently he was supposed to be at work the day before on the 14th so they wouldn't have been going on vacation is my guess hey it's Kaylee Cuoco
1: for Priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the
0: Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels so whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda you never
1: have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today your savings are waiting
0: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Unless right. I'm-
1: so we, yeah, we need to get some details of that, of the, excuse me. We need to get some details of the date of that vacation or when it was due to start. Because from my understanding, they were, they were due to take that trip within days of, of when they were
0: found. You know, it's interesting, you know, we talked about and you mentioned how their bodies were found. And, you know, one of the things that they bring up in uh, one of the articles I'm reading here is about how they were actually, they actually looked like these junk, they they called them junk sculptures from the 70s. And they were posed um, that way. Barry's right leg was crossed over his left, just like one. However, honey's legs were not in front of her as those. I don't know, it's just weird. Like there's so many weird things, to this freaking case.
1: Well, and, and, and the, the people that I spoke with had an interesting debate that I, I listened to did not partake in, but the interesting debate was some people in the room considered the uh, Shermans to have been posed and some of them considered them to have been staged uh, but what the general consensus was, uh, and and yeah, and you, we're talking about what's the line, right? The where's the right. line? What's it, the it, difference? <laughs> it, well, there 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 are, can be significant differences between staging and posing. W- with, with staging, with staging, obviously the 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 main objective for staging something is to make something appear like it's something else. Right. Sure. And yes. and we do know that when this case broke and Toronto PD hit the ground running on it, there was some speculation by Toronto PD that this was a murder suicide. So that would back up the argument for those that that side on the staging uh, side of that argument. Uh, the the persons that that say maybe that they were posed. Well, you you could have a killer pose a, a a victim for any number of reasons. One for their own self-satisfaction, self-gratification. They feel like they've achieved something, or the, for shock value when they were to be found. Uh, the victims, when they are to be found, that that it adds to the the shock value of whoever it is that that is is going to find them or believed to to find them. So there's there's and we don't want to get too far into that in, in, into those muddy waters there. Uh, in this conversation, but, um, you know, one thing that I found in, and, and I'll move off of the inheritance angle here in a second, but mm-hmm. one thing I do want to touch on before, uh, we move off of that. And this is something that I, I just cannot shake. Uh, their son gave a, uh, a very heartfelt speech, at the services for his parents when they were laid to rest. Um, Heartfelt is one way to look at it. Uh, And I, and, and I'm not, I don't want to, you know, I want to be clear here because there's, there's a strong and probably very likely possibility that this man is perfectly innocent and he, he himself is a victim. So this, this is where it gets very difficult to, talk about these cases and speculate where we have somebody that I'm not the only one to have suspicion of this individual.
0: There's reason though.
1: So you have to talk about it in that manner. And I, and I think that I think that we should, and we're going to continue to, but at the same time you do it, I do it anyway. I with, with a heavy heart because I go knowing, you know, everybody else here is a victim other than the person that, that did this. And so we, we we very likely could be talking about a victim and casting a lot of shade on them. But one thing I found weird with his his speech at their services after they had passed, you know, he said, he said, and I, again, this, maybe this is just a guy trying to put together, uh, you know, a, a very mindful and heartfelt speech, right? Mm-hmm. I should throw this out there though. He did graduate from Columbia, so it shouldn't be hard for him to put these things together. But again, his parents have been killed. Uh, They died unexpectedly, obviously. And so maybe his, his heart was completely broken. Maybe his, you know, he wasn't thinking clearly, but I found it very odd that during that speech, there's a portion where he says, you know, my mother and my father were very much like a lock and a key. Hmm. Individually, they were quite useful, or sorry, individually, they were quite useless by themselves. But together, they unlocked the world for us, their children, and for everyone. Boom, that's a nice thing to say. Very odd for me to hear somebody say separately or by themselves, they were quite useless I, neither of these individuals strike me to be useless <laughs> on their own at all. It almost sounds like a shot, doesn't it? It almost sounds like, uh, like, uh, yeah, they were really nothing without each other. They were really no- they had to be together. You know, the, look, the the five lions that form Voltron separately are pretty powerful lions by themselves. Together, of course, they 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 form Voltron and they are the defender of the universe. So the, very powerful, right? I get it. Yeah, your parents are more powerful and did a lot better together than than separately. But useless. You, it, it, it seemed like a odd point you to bring up at, 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 the, at when you're laying your parents to rest who were who were killed to say that they were useless. It almost felt like a, I don't know. I don't. Uh, so let's get away from that because here I am. I'm getting all. I'm getting all. Well, let's
0: let, let's talk about that. The, the, let's talk about his son though, real quick. I mean, yeah. His son did owe him a few dollars, and there was some, you know, money that he had bought, borrowed from from Barry for his storage business. So
1: yeah. Well, it, yes. Uh, and and we're talking tens business. of millions of dollars. So <laughs> Yeah, I think it was like forty or fifty million, maybe, maybe yeah. even up, maybe even up to sixty million. But yeah. we also and should keep in mind: sixty million is not
0: a lot. Sixty million banner. to Barry Sherman. But Barry uh, owed a billion dollars to other companies,
1: and but his company was estimated to be worth what four and a half, maybe five billion dollars. So, yeah, and when and you it, get
0: into it, that, it's like I don't it, know. It what. gets
1: difficult to talk about money here, but but we're going to continue to. But you're right, in and. and Yes, the son owed money, but the son had also had, it, from, from my understanding and the public's understanding, that there were several heated debates or arguments with dad about dad's other business ventures. Now, he did help his son out. We should point out, though, his son's storage businesses, from my understanding, were quite successful, even mm-hmm. though he still owed that money to his father. Um, you just really hope and pray that the, that this doesn't. It's hard to believe that this doesn't come down to money, but you just hope and pray that that somebody wouldn't do something like this to what is supposed to be a loved one, a very valued loved one, uh, over something as petty as money. Uh, but you know, they say it's the root of all evil. the The other thing too, Bill and. and and this may point more towards money is the fact that they're both killed, right? Because you would think Barry who created all these enemies on his own, honey, didn't have enemies. His wife didn't have enemies. No, so she was the
0: pillar of the community.
1: So either, so you either have one of two situations, either she's collateral damage, forgive me for saying so, or, somebody so cold and so dead set on getting something had to take them both out because if if you're, if you're looking to, to inherit something and it doesn't just have to be money. We can talk about some other things, but if you're looking to inherit something, well, naturally whatever Barry has is going to go to honey next. So that's another cog in the machine. That's another middleman. That's just getting in the way of, of, what it is that you hope to gain. Now, does it have to be money? No, it could be some kind of position of power, CEO position. What, you know, I don't know how many titles Barry Sherman probably held. I'm sure that there was somebody directly under him at all of those business ventures that wouldn't mind have taken their seat at the table or taking his seat at the table. Right Mm -hmm. now want to talk about bad blood though. And creating enemies. Uh, One that I have found that is that I don't believe has been discussed is one that I would like to talk about now. And this is potential enemy. Okay. But the timing of this is very interesting to me. So everybody knows one key part to this case. One key part to this case is that uh, their home was for sale. They had listed their home and they were in the process of building an even Bigger, better castle, right? This one's going to have a moat and maybe a helipad on the on the rooftop. I no, I joke. I don't know what they were doing with the home, but uh, so let's go through some some quick numbers here before we wrap up today. I just this is something that I'm curious about. Okay. I don't think it's a giant red flag. Just curious about it. curious about it. So they're in the process of selling their home in the process of building a new home, but when the the home that they had was a uh, six bedroom, nine bathroom north york house north york is a very prominent extremely prominent neighborhood right Mm -hmm. you and i would be lucky to cut the grass at somebody's (laughs) home in in north york so they built this home it 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 was completed and they had moved in in 1991 now the information i found was that the estimated construction cost of the home was 2.3 million dollars not too shabby right Mm Mm-hmm. So they lived in it for a long time, and I get, I get it, right? We're all very lucky, especially nowadays. Home values have been going up, going way up in some areas. Uh, by the time they were listed, they had listed their house in 2017. It was listed for 6.9 million dollars, right? Good, That's not a bad good increase. Yep, very good return on their investment. Um, and you would expect a, a very nice home like that to go up in value in a very desirable neighborhood, right? Absolutely. Here's the part that I find interesting. During the course of the construction of that home that they were selling when they were killed. They had at one point launched more than one dozen lawsuits against architects, contractors and the tennis court designer more than one dozen lawsuits against people that built their $2.3 million home that they moved into in 1991, right? By the time that all of those court battles were resolved, Barry and honey Sherman recouped $2 million of the $2.3 million that it cost to build their home. If I could do that deal Sign my ass up because I would do it every single time. Can you imagine how burned some dude felt when he sees their home being listed for $6.9 million? Now, mind you, it's many years later, 15, 16 years later. But damn, didn't he feel burned back in 1991 and 92 when you sued the pants off of me and damn near got your home for free, your mansion for free? And now you're going to sell it at a profit, at a a considerable profit, at what, a a 300% profit? More, more, yeah, 300% profit. And then you're going to move your ass into a better, bigger castle with a moat and a helipad on top? Well, now I'm pissed.
0: And probably sue those people, too.
1: Now I'm pissed. Yeah. So that's just that's just pointing out another set of potential enemies that that I don't think has been dis- discussed. Maybe there's nothing there, but that's something that I found recently and I I, I can't shake it. I think it's interesting.
0: I I just will give you I know you have to run, but I will say this about that theory as far as like contractors and, you know, suing people. It's very common for people to get screwed over in that kind of business and yeah. for them to Sue to go to that level to sue these people. And if they're suing the same people like multiple times, let's say they did a bad job and they keep suing. it And it's like, well, dude, that's going to get people really pissed off. And I'm not saying that that had anything to do with it, but it is definitely something that you should, they should be looking into because of the fact that when people's work is judged and then they take it to court and then you have to pay them for the work that you did. Mm -hmm. yeah there's some salt there and then again with the inheritance people you know there's a lot of stuff there too so you never know on this case
1: No, it's it's a very intriguing case and i again i feel confident that toronto pd's working this uh, and probably working it from every angle we know last time that we checked in on it they were uh, buried eyeballs deep in in uh, paperwork and then files that they had to go through financials and such much like I'm buried in my office here mm-hmm. in paperwork but um, that stuff takes a lot of time to go through I think that if it was a hit um, or it was revenge from a money level they're going to find that They're going to find that information there. That's where they're going to find their breadcrumb trail is in that is in those papers and in those documents. Um, It might take looking through them two or three times, maybe a fresh set of eyes or a different person to to spot that. Um, This is a very complicated case. I but the two that we discussed today, I feel confident that they we get some resolve. We get some result in, in a good one. And I think that we'll know uh, the, the complete story for both of these at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, we can only hope for both families that this, uh, you know, technology and all these improvements with DNA and whatnot, and then uh, with the Sherman family. Let's just hope that, uh, you know, they finally get the answers because they left a community reeling. And same with uh, Warren, Massachusetts. It's uh, closure. Needs some closure. So... Nick, I know you need to run, but uh, thank you so much again for joining Who Killed. And uh, everybody, where can they find your show? Well, you can find our wonderful show, True Crime Garage, on every podcast platform
1: out there. And actually, I have to run, Bill, because I'm getting ready to record a new episode of my other show called The Big Kid Show. Which has nothing to do with true crime, and uh, so if you if you want a fun listen to on your way to work or at the gym, check out my other show, The Big Kids Show, and you can follow me on Twitter at t c g n i c bill. It's been fun as always, been an interesting conversation. Next time though, let's go back to the morning hours and we'll do it over
0: uh, a, a pot of coffee. Right? Sounds like a plan. Thanks so much. All right, Nick. cheers, friend. Have a good one. Many, many thanks to Nick, the one and only from True Crime Garage. I can't thank him enough for taking time out of his busy schedule to join me to discuss a few cases that caught our fancy. And hey, these are two cases that both need to be solved. And that is Molly Bish and the case of Honey and Barry Sherman. As always, I drop new episodes of Who Killed every Friday, wherever you get your favorite shows. You guys can also get Nick shows wherever you get my show, and I do recommend going back and listening to the episodes that we had done previously on uh, Honey and Barry Sherman because they are eye-opening, and they're probably going to be some things that we talked about back then that are different than what we talked about today. So if you guys are interested in that, that's great. If you guys would like to donate to the show, you can do so via Venmo with my username at Bill-Huffman-3 or via PayPal. And again, every contribution goes to making these slow burn media podcasts. So again, any contribution helps. If you want to, you can follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. And until next time, as always, stay healthy and be safe.
1: Come play with us.